electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, Black Friday is in focus as consumer fears mount. Who is most at risk? We're going to discuss that in just a moment. Plus, the latest tech layoffs as HP cuts thousands and rumors mount that even Google may be at risk. Finally, a lot more on Apple as violent protests rock Foxconn's massive iPhone plant in China, John. Yeah, and the health of the consumer top of mind for investors looking ahead to Black Friday and the rest of Q4 with the rolling tide of layoffs, guidance cuts, and negative sentiment from names ranging from Target to Amazon. What is the impact on tech names here? Dom Chu joins us with a look. Dom? All right, so John, as we take a look at sentiment within technology communication services, And, of course, that all-important consumer discretionary sector around this holiday season, it turns around into these three sectors being the real drivers, a lot of the sentiment and the downside action that we've seen. As you can see here, some of the outsized moves to the downside are in these three most important sectors. So we wanted to take a look at some of the names that might have more of a consumer focus within those three sectors as the holiday shopping season and consumer spending takes center stage. So we ran a screen on S&P 500 companies within those three sectors, tech, comm services, and consumer discretionary. 153 names are in that list. We look for the highest short interest on a relative basis among those groups there, with the median short interest in that group being about 2.1% of shares outstanding that are held short. With that in mind, we took a look at some of the names that passed that particular screen. High short interest in some of these consumer-oriented names, like video game makers, Activision Blizzard, which currently has about a 3% short interest as a percent of shares outstanding. Over the last year, still a big gainer of 23%, maybe more vulnerable to consumer spending. Another one to keep a close eye on is one on the e-commerce front, Etsy, closer to 9% short interest as a percent of shares outstanding. So keep an eye on Etsy. And then one of the larger ones out there for sure is in streaming video, Paramount, with short interest on the higher side of things there, up about 2.5% today, but still a down move overall, one of the highest short interest there. And Carl, if you're looking for some of those high short interest names, I couldn't put all of them there, but the top 25 that passed that screen are on my Twitter feed at the Domino. I'll send things back over to you. You're good at that, Dom. Thank you, uh, Dom Chu, this morning. Uh, Meantime, PC markets are no stranger to a consumer slowdown as HP now announces new plans this morning to cut 4,000 to 6,000 jobs over the next three years. And Dell just yesterday warned of waning demand going into the holidays. Joining us this morning to discuss Wall Street Journal senior personal technology columnist Joanna Stern. Joanna, great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Carl. I'd love to get you on just on the PC channel. I noticed Mizuho this morning talked about HP's guidance for a 10% decline in PC units for their October end fiscal year of 23, which they say sounds about in line with AMD's outlook and would be less bad than the expected mid-teens we're looking at this year. Is there a sense that this inventory is going to get worked off? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been lots of predictions from the 10% to 20% falter on on 
actual sales. I think the big question going into the holiday season is, does actually what's on shelves right now, do they sell that? Looking ahead to you, we really look at where the COVID impact was, was in two places, right? It was consumers working from home, and it was also enterprises looking to build up their fleet of computers and laptops for those working at home. On the consumer end, that is, people don't update their PCs. They just don't. They do it maybe every three to four years now. So you're not looking at a big bump there. On the enterprise end, many of these companies already spent. And with many companies looking to cut back, they're not looking to upgrade PCs. So there's not as much need for a refresh at home. Obviously, office spaces are contracting, not as many units needed perhaps at work. Um, d- how, how do you think the labor equation, the headcount reduction is going to play out, not just in PCs, but broader, beyond, beyond the hardware and tech? I mean, certainly PCs is going to be a big place, right? And also looking at beyond that, and as you mentioned, office space, I was talking to some other tech executives that are in that space and over the last couple of weeks and saying they have seen a slowdown there too as they as companies invest in the tech in their offices. Um, beyond that, of course, the hardware, the hardware, we're going into a holiday season. People want to buy hardware, right? They they want to buy things. We look at beyond the PC market, there's probably some, some optimism. There's optimism around gaming equipment. There's optimism around tablets and then, again, sort of the more consumer uh, lean back experience uh, will remain to be seen about TVs. Um, But certainly looks like from people I'm talking to that that people want deals. People are looking still to spend. They just want to spend less. That's key. They want deals, right? And many people are still looking for stuff to buy. But a lot of people I talk to are also looking for things like trips or shared experiences. So do you think that makes up sort of that leg in PC sales or even electronics overall? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're, you're spending your money on travel, um, maybe you need a little bit of tech to travel, but it's not going to be a big investment like we saw in, during the pandemic where people were staying home and investing in the stuff that they needed at home, right? Home theater things, smart home things, more com- around the computers and the PCs and the, and the tablets. Um, so if some of that money, that, that extra money is going to the traveling, going out to restaurants, all of that kind of stuff, People may pull back on tech sales or on tech on tech buying, though many of the companies seem optimistic, again, going into the holiday season, looking at some of those accessories, looking at some of the things that um, people want to build out in that lean back experience. Again, tablets, gaming, that kind, those kinds of categories. Is something else happening more broadly in the consumer technology ecosystem which is the narrative is turning against things like Amazon Alexa. Uh, And it reminds me in a way of the environment in which we had a shakeout in 2001, 2008. You got to see who was really into consumer technology and hardware as a business and who was just sort of doing it as an ecosystem play. We think we can get into this and have a good time. I don't think Amazon is backing off of its hardware business, though they might trim it. But what do you expect to happen during this cycle, perhaps to some more uh, tenuous hardware players? I think over the next year, we're going to see these hardware players focus on what they know works, right? For Amazon, what they know works, they know the smart speakers work. They know some of the smart speakers with screens work. Going into some other kind of crazy stuff where Alexa's embedded in different types of things, the robots that we're hearing, sure, they're going to continue on some of the robot development, but I, I really don't see them trying to push some of these more wacky things. Stay in the line with what works, right? Where I think that's similar to see from Google, right? Google has had a hardware business, hasn't been hugely successful mm-hmm. on the phones, but has been more successful on the speakers. Stay the course, stay the course mm-hmm. on the smart home stuff that they know sells. 
Right. That's a good good point. Those lineups of hardware, they have expanded. Maybe they get a little bit more focused. Joanna, stick around. We want to get your take on a developing story this morning surrounding Apple supplier Foxconn as protests erupt at the world's biggest iPhone assembly plant over COVID restrictions there. Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with the latest. Eunice. Thanks, Deidre. Well, Foxconn says that as of tonight, operations at that facility in central China are back to normal. And this is after videos emerged online that were obtained by AP and not verified by NBC of people who claim to be Foxconn workers clashing and sometimes quite violently with um, authorities dressed in hazmat suits while shouting, give us our pay. Now, these protesters complain that they are being forced to work uh, for much longer, sometimes weeks longer, in uh, isolated COVID conditions in order to get extra pay as well as bonuses that they feel that they are owed. Now, they also said that they're concerned about the virus spread at the facility. Now, Foxconn said in a statement that's communicating with workers and the government to avoid a recurrence and is offering workers compensation. Now, the protest also comes as China's COVID outbreak appears to be going national. That very city of Zhengzhou or China's iPhone city uh, said tonight that it is putting its downtown area in lockdown until next Tuesday and conducting mass testing. Uh, Mega city Chongqing out west said that it is now in effective lockdown and Chengdu, which is also just emerging uh, from a lockdown from September, is in mass testing. Shanghai canceled an auto event manufacturing hub Shenzhen, as well as Sanya, which is a city that's in China's Hawaii, um, are in imposing more restrictions for public places. And this, again, comes as uh, the COVID restrictions here in Beijing and the surrounding areas, as well as export hub Guangzhou, continue just to get tighter and tighter. In fact, research firm Capital Economics said that they're getting increasingly concerned that what we could be headed towards is a situation that's very similar to the early days of the pandemic, um, when there were hundreds of millions of people put under lockdown uh, Deidre, which, of course, led to disastrous consequences for the economy. Mm-hmm. Eunice, thank you for that. That's our Eunice Yoon in Beijing on the Foxconn story this morning. Let's bring back Joanna, talk a bit about that, Joanna. You know, we, we mentioned the last time we got that phone guidance from Apple uh, talking about how this plays out in Cupertino as a potential way that the company is registering dissatisfaction with that uh, industrial policy in China. Yeah, certainly the timing isn't good. And I think really, again, this is illustrating Apple's dependence on China. Obviously, Tim Cook has really looked past that, looking to diversify into India, into Vietnam. But certainly this is certainly bad timing in terms of what Apple has said in terms of the production of the pro models. They did give that guidance that that would be uh, for this quarter, there would be significant less inventory and that that would mean uh, as that would be as a result directly of the covid lockdowns. And then um, you did have uh, Cook referring to buying uh, TSM chips, these uh, new facilities going up in Arizona. Is it your sense in general that they are trying, whether it's India or Vietnam or Arizona, trying to take baby steps out of China the best they can? Absolutely. And we've also heard that the Chinese government is worried about that, looking to help Apple in those situations in terms of providing labor to figure out how they can continue to ramp up to production or at least keep it at steady levels. I think the the big question going forward right now is 
do those pro models come back to the, the inventory level Apple expects it to, that they give that gave that guidance, I believe it was the beginning of October. Can they bring it there? Can they get it for the holiday season? And also what impact does that have on the other models? Remember, there are the two other models, the plus and the regular, and does Apple able, is are, are customers gonna go for those or are they gonna just keep waiting or turn to competitors? Uh, Joanna, I'm sorry, I just gotta take a step back here because what we might have just seen, and this has to be verified, is people being beaten for protesting in a facility that Apple and the iPhone economy is funding. And I don't want to gloss over that. In your recollection, have we seen that out of Foxconn connected to Apple? And, and what do you think, if anything, the company's response might be or might need to be? I'm happy you brought that up, John, because I also have been you know, waiting to see what Apple is going to say in response to this. Obviously, the images are um, hard to watch. And the question is really about what what was the altercation about? Seems a lot of it is around the uh, conditions around lockdown, people not being paid. Um, so we have seen in the past Apple respond not only to say we are taking a look at this, but also in the past suspending production or suspending uh, deals at some of these other uh, as, at some other factories. Um, we had that over the, I believe it was a year ago around in, in, in Paragon. Um, so they are certainly, I, 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 they are certainly on the hook here to, to say something or to at least uh, acknowledge what, what is happening here. Joanna, it seems like, you know, the best way that Apple can respond is with action, diversify out of China faster. You mentioned that they are doing things. It's going to take time to shift some of that manufacturing process to India and Vietnam. But really, the video that we're watching underlines the urgency of that. Is there anything Tim Cook can do to make that shift happen faster? I mean, certainly it takes time, especially when you've had specific SKUs being made at specific uh, factories and specific parts being made in specific factories, looking to diversify where the chips are being made, looking to diversify where everything is being, or, or uh, the different parts and, and, and the different, um, yeah, different components, and then putting that into assembly someplace else. Sure, but that's, that's going to take a massive amount of time to do. Joanna, thanks. Appreciate it. Have a great holiday. We'll talk to you soon. Joanna Sooner, The Wall Street Journal. Yeah, disturbing images, disturbing images. We'd like to get more clarity on that. Let's get a gut check now on Tesla. City upgrading the stock to neutral today, raising the price target to $176 per share. It is a valuation call. The city says this year's pullback so far balances out the risk reward on the stock. Still not at a buy, though. It's a hold. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas highlighting that Tesla's lost half a trillion in market cap in just two months, and that only a change in sentiment around Elon Musk's Twitter takeover might stop Tesla's stock slide. He still maintains his overweight rating on the stock. D, we were just talking about this mm -hmm. yesterday. How much of Tesla's valuation is not necessarily about how many orders there are or you know, how strong Tesla's market position in EVs is. It's about belief that Elon Musk is going to be able to figure everything out. Yeah. And now with him, it's not clear that he's going to figure everything out with Twitter. Perhaps the brand overall is being tarnished. And as he figures out what to do at Twitter, he's tweeting less about Tesla. So there's more to sort of grab onto. But we had this discussion yesterday, Carl, and that the fundamentals haven't changed all that much for Tesla over the last few months. What's changed again is Elon Musk sort of leaning into the story and providing a narrative for investors. However, today up a strong 6 percent. It is the top gainer on the Nasdaq 100.
Yeah, uh, interesting too to watch Jonas frame it, not just as consumers uh, may be tiring of the Musk brand, not so much the Tesla brand, but also the risk it brings to government partnerships and certainly his relationships to, say, capital markets, D. Yep, and speaking of China as well, relationship there and their presence in that country. Meanwhile, HP, not the only name making headlines this morning as Rumble's grow layoffs ahead at Google. More on why employees are getting worried. That's next. Tech Check is just getting started. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Getting headlines out of uh, the FTX bankruptcy hearing in Delaware today, as even the company's own counsel calls the case, quote, a different sort of animal. Our Eamon Javers was inside the room or the menagerie, perhaps, and joins us now with more. Eamon. <laughs> John, that's right. We saw a gaggle of lawyers heading into this FTX bankruptcy in Wilmington, Delaware yesterday. Uh, a lot of lawyers there representing, first of all, the new management at FTX, lawyers representing uh, the U.S. government. We had lawyers representing various gr groups of customers of FTX, all trying to uh, get their word in in front of the bankruptcy judge there in Delaware. Uh, a lot of questions going into this hearing, uh, including the big ones, which are, you know, how much money does FTX actually owe and how many customers did it have? We didn't get all those answers. We did learn a few things, including the fact that FTX is now saying the company is suffering cyber attacks on a regular basis. They've got a cybersecurity firm that they've brought in that they won't even name because they're worried that that firm itself will get attacked from all the people trying to get a hold of that cryptocurrency. Uh, there are substantial funds here that have been stolen or are just missing. No number on that, but they're saying that that could be a significant problem going forward. And then we had this dispute yesterday between uh, the trustee and the FTX attorneys over whether or not not, the names of the customers at FTX will ever be made public. The company argued those names should stay private. Uh, and the reason for that, they said, is that the, the list of customers represents an asset for FTX that it could sell or, or monetize going forward and could pay back some of its creditors with that value. And if it's made public, that value goes away. Also, that the customers themselves bought the cryptocurrency with an eye toward privacy and their, their privacy rights shouldn't be interrupted here by this bankruptcy proceeding where generally the names of the creditors are made public. So the judge decided yesterday what we're going to do here is keep those names private for now, but they're going to revisit that decision in the future. So if you had uh, money on this exchange, uh, your name is secure for now, but there's no guarantee that your name won't be made public at some point along in this process. So a lot more to come, guys. We're expecting another hearing in December, another hearing in January. Some of the lawyers involved in this were saying uh, after the fact, as I was talking to them in Wilmington yesterday, this thing could go on for years, guys. Eamon, okay, help me out. I'm, I'm going to 
I need to go really simple here to try to understand this. So bankruptcy, these bankruptcy proceedings okay. are largely about creditors, people who are owed money, lining up to see who's first to get whatever money yep. is, is found or still there. But at the same time, we've got money that was never properly accounted for in the first place while FTX was supposedly this strong going concern. Questions about what Sam Bankman-Fried was doing the money. We got money that seemed to move out mysteriously just as the whole house of cards was coming down. And we've got cyber attacks that supposedly are moving more money out of there. Right. So so that there are the questions, not yep. just about the, who's first in line as a creditor, but how much money is even going to be left after the thieves or founders or founder thieves, whatever that turns out to be, are, are done. Right. Yeah. Look, and in each of those buckets that you just laid out, there could be billions of dollars worth of assets to, you know, for lack of a better word, dollars and or crypto in each of those categories. And so the question is, who are the creditors here? Who is owed money? Uh, how much money are they owed and how much money is still in the company? You know, the, the company put out a statement over the weekend suggesting that they were finding that there were subsidiaries that had solvent businesses and solvent balance sheets. Uh, so there were some viable businesses in there. And the, in court yesterday, the FTX attorneys were saying, you know, we, we might be able to sell some of these things and raise some cash here. So it's not at all clear how much cash they have and can raise from selling those profitable businesses. Uh, it's not at all clear how much they actually owe to all these creditors, how many creditors there are. It's clear that there are maybe up to a million potential creditors out there, and those people are all over planet Earth uh, and subject to all mm -hmm. sorts of different legal regimes, European, American, Asian, Caribbean, and others. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of complicating factors here. That's why it's going to take so long. Yeah, the web is, the web is extremely wide. Eamon Javers, thank you very much yep. for that update. Meanwhile, Google has so far avoided the mass layoffs hitting other big tech names. But are there big cuts ahead? Our CNBC.com reporter Jennifer Elias joins us now with her latest reporting. Uh, Jen, you got a hold of some documents. But it is important to note here that we have seen cut, cuts around the edges for Alphabet. But net-net, they're still hiring. They still plan to hire this quarter. That's right, Dee. They're still hiring. Um, employees there don't necessarily expect a meta-style mass layoff like we saw with the company. Um, but they are starting to see more cuts around the edges. They had a recent overhaul in their performance review system for employees, which is already had trouble rolling out, employees told me. Um, and it's just hard to drown out the noise of so many cuts that are taking place across the industry over the last few weeks. Um, so this is a, the biggest point of conversation. And so a lot of employees are questioning. Right. And that anxiety is probably shared around the Bay Area where we are, right? Because you do see so many firms that are cutting. And Google is thought to maybe be one of the safest spots. So the fact that yeah. anxiety is rising at a place like Alphabet um, is kind of an indication of what's going on here at large. Do you think that employees there pay attention to things like activist letters, that TCI letter talking, you know, calling for more cuts? Does that add to some of the, the worries? I think it does. Although employees who I spoke with said, you know, this is an activist investor. Usually they don't have a lot of leeway for decision making because of who the shareholders are and how much um, they stake they have in the company. But uh, it, it's just 
the more that something happens, one after the other, um, and then this call for aggressive headcount reductions, it's just hard to drown out the noise for them. Um, and they saw how rapidly Google grew. So I got to look at some of the top-rated questions uh, during the most recent all-hands meeting. And a lot of the employees just wanted to know what's going on with headcount. Are we going to cut? Um, and even asking more pointed questions of CEO Sundar Pichai asking, was it irresponsible to grow so quickly and hire so rapidly? So it's definitely um, becoming a huge topic of discussion for employees who are anxious. Well, Jen, we appreciate you bringing your reporting to Tech Check. Um, keep at it. You're always getting great information from inside the company. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Jennifer Lass. Carl? Meantime, the uh, key question this holiday season is, will there be enough iPhones? We'll discuss that next. Stay with us. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Contessa Brewer with the CNBC News Update. New home sales jumped 7.5% in October, surprising economists who had expected a decline amid rising mortgage rates. This increase was led by a nearly 46% surge in the Northeast that helped offset a 34% tumble in the Midwest. First-time claims for jobless benefits rose last week to the highest level since August. 240,000 new claims were filed, up 17,000 from the previous week. The current level of claims is still low by historic standards. Heavy equipment maker Deere reported much better than expected profit and revenue for its latest quarter. Deere's results were helped by strong farm equipment demand and increased investment in infrastructure projects around the United States. And some good news for Walt Disney. The Wall Street Journal reports Chinese authorities have approved the release of Disney's Avatar, The Way of Water, in that country. The sequel to the hit 2009 science fiction movie will be released globally December 16th. Disney and other studios have seen a number of movies banned by Chinese censors. So good news in a big market, John. Contessa, thank you. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, a key risk ahead for Apple, not enough iPhones, according to our next guest, who forecasts a sales drop over the holiday season as China continues to be, quote, an albatross for the company's supply chain. And given the protests at the name's biggest iPhone manufacturer, Foxconn, this morning, where does that leave the stock heading into Q4? Still bullish on Apple demand. Let's bring in Wedbush's Dan Ives. Dan, good morning. Got to start with this video um, that appears to be out of the Foxconn facility in China. I don't know that we've ever seen something like this. It appears to be workers who are protesting and getting beaten by uh, Foxconn uh, employees, I imagine, other security in this sort of iPhone city. This is a facility that Apple is in effect funding. Have we seen anything like this? What do we expect Apple to do in response? What kind of risks does that in and of itself pose? Look, it's unprecedented. And I think within Cupertino, this has just been an albatross, or I'll call it a black eye, that just continues to cascade. You know, first on the shortages, that leaves them, we think, potentially 25, 30% short 
going into Black Friday as well as holidays in terms of iPhone, you know, 14. I think that's a significant shortage. And then you look at this, you know, the problem for Apple, they're limited in terms of what they can do. This is the hearts and lungs of Apple production. And, you know, I, I trust Cook and, you know, the others within Cupertino are watching this with a close eye. Now, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it takes hundreds and thousands of workers, hundreds of thousands of workers over the course of a year to do the kind of assembly that Apple needs. It's it's really almost literally a city that gets stood up to do this. There aren't other places in the world where in a quarter or two you can stand up an entire city to do the manufacturing for a company. Um, just the, the expertise in supply chain that's necessary, the raw demands. It's not like uh, Apple can move this to Vietnam or even India in a couple quarters. No, that's part of the problem. I mean, it's iPhone city for a reason. And, you know, that's ultimately where they dove into deep end of the pool in terms of China and obviously Foxconn. I think it's, it's caught everyone by surprise, including Apple, you know, in terms of we're talking about, you know, what could be about 5% lower in units for the quarter. And it all comes down to shortages that we're seeing with obviously zero COVID driven. And Apple right now is just watching as a spectator because they could talk the talk. Realistically, the next 12 to 18 months, they could minimally move any production elsewhere. It reminds me, Dan, of a, uh, an opinion piece in The Times a few weeks ago that basically argued that their production in China um, was key to their ascent in that over 30 years you had huge globalization, uh, costs came down, fresh source of manpower, but that it's now a vulnerability. And, 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 and you wouldn't ordinarily cluster your whole supply chain into this, what, what's, what this piece argued is the most potent cyber threat to the U.S. Do you think all that's reflected in the stock? Look, I think that's always been the double-edged sword. I mean, it's the hearts and lungs of the bull story, bull case story for Apple, not just from production, but also demand. Now, Cook has been able to almost been Teflon-like in terms of what we've seen on the challenges in China. But obviously now it's all coming to roost in terms of the zero COVID issues in the most important quarter. It's been a body blow, a gut punch to Apple. And, and I think that's why I think as many consumers go into you know, stores or online into Black Friday holidays, we are seeing just massive scarcity, I think potentially 25, 30 percent iPhones. Right. So, Dan, as the China risk rises and, you know, this is the second time that Apple has been affected by zero COVID. Can you still say as an investor that Apple largely owns and controls the key technology behind its products? Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously vertically integrated in terms of the semis and what they're doing from a chip perspective. But at the end of the day, if Foxconn calls and gives the bad news, there's nothing Apple can do. They can maybe run the edges change. And I think that's What's really starting to, to, to become front and center. I think there could be some strategic changes over the long term. But right now, in terms of the stock production, as well as demand, it all hinges what's happening in China. And these are images that no one wants to see, including Cook. All right. Dan Ives, thank you. Thank you. Still to come, is it time to leave Twitter? More on the alternatives that are trying to take the spotlight next. We're back in two. As users and business leaders alike eye some big changes at Twitter from new owner Elon Musk, the social media's uh, potential downfall leading to some big opportunities for others in the space. Our Julia Borston has a breakdown on that. Hi, Julia. Hey, Carl. Well, over the Thanksgiving dinner table, you may hear about some Twitter alternatives. 
One that has been uh, generating a lot of chatter is German social platform Mastodon has seen a surge of growth since Musk's acquisition of Twitter was finalized, with 2.9 million worldwide installs, up over 10,000 percent from the prior three-week period, with 3.3 million installs worldwide total, this according to Sensor Tower. Another social app on the rise, Be Real. It's more of an alternative to Instagram. Every day at a different time, you're asked to capture and share authentic photos with friends. The app is just two years old, and it's been installed about 70 million times, about 20 million of those installs just since October 1st. And then there's an app designed to help navigate this wave of layoffs we're seeing, particularly in the tech sector. Blind is an anonymous professional social network in which it says 7 million verified professionals communicate anonymously with a 50% increase in downloads in just the past three weeks driven by chatter around meta and Twitter layoffs in particular. Now, this app includes a salary comparison tool and anonymous company reviews. It's become quite a destination for venting about layoffs. And of course, we have to keep in mind these apps are tiny compared to Meta's 2 billion plus user reach or Snap, which has 363 million daily active users. But it's worth keeping an eye on these nascent platforms and how they navigate business models. I wouldn't be surprised if we see less of a reliance on ads. And Be Real is reportedly considering some paid features. Guys? That's interesting, Julia. You mentioned ads. I mean, is there a sense that uh, ad buyers who maybe have taken a pause on Twitter the way the Washington Post wrote about last night are eyeing any of these apps or are they simply too small? I think these apps are, are more in the nascent phase. I think what's really interesting is we may see some of the ad buyers who have paused advertising on Twitter look at targeted video advertising, the likes of ads on Hulu or Peacock, the, the reassurance that content on those platforms um, is, is going to be safe, is going to be premium content. Um, and then, of course, I think, you know, there's a lot of experimentation on TikTok. And this is a holiday season where we're going to see a lot of ads dip their toe into the water if they haven't already been spending on TikTok to try to see how well these ads could work for their brands. All right. We'll be watching that. Julia, thanks so much. Julia Borson. Meanwhile, Affirm shares, they are 90% off their highs as buy now, pay later players face rising costs, rates, and a consumer slowdown. We will talk to a key competitor, Klarna, next. Don't go away. Welcome back. NASDAQ's the outperformer this morning, up about 1%, led by the likes of Tesla, Atlassian, Datadog. More on the market action after the break. But first, last week we asked members of CNBC's Technology Executive Council about their outlook for crypto and blockchain tech with all the FTX fallout. Here's what a few of them said. Tech Check's back in a moment. I have been investing in crypto for a number of years. I continue to invest in crypto. I think if, if anything, we'll probably see and realize the need for more regulation, especially here in the U.S. For it to become a legitimate part of good advice, good portfolio construction, becoming a real asset class that advisors talk to you comfortably about, that would take definitely uh, a better regulatory framework. Ultimately, uh, I believe the future of money is digital. I think it's the most frictionless way of exchanging value. There will be some bundling, I believe, of crypto services and some investments in the lessons that we learned from it. 
With Black Friday around the corner, lots of questions about the health of the consumer. Here with insights on what to expect across retail and e-commerce, Sebastian Simiakowski, CEO of Buy Now, Pay Later company, Klarna. Sebastian, thanks for being with us. It's good to see you. What are you seeing so far in terms of holiday shopping? Many consumers expected to lean even further on their credit cards despite rising interest rates. Can Buy Now, Pay Later capture a greater, sa- a greater portion of sales this year? It, yeah, it definitely is. And you're seeing that. I mean, obviously, as some of you will know, Claudine is about 40% of our volume is actually debit, where people pay the full amount. And so we can see trends in general on shopping. And there we're seeing stronger consumer sentiment and spending than I think uh, kind of the current picture in media is. So we're not as concerned. We see pretty positive signs. When you look at buy now, pay later, specifically the interest-free version of it, it's doing extremely well. More and more consumers, especially in the US, are seeing the benefits towards credit cards with zero interest, um, with you know paying back in installments rather than revolving and all the other benefits of it. So, so definitely very strong growth, actually. And Sebastian, as consumers take on more debt, how does your credit worthiness threshold change? Will it be more difficult for people to actually use buy now, pay later, get approved for their purchases? And if not, as you said, you have a no interest product. Does that weigh on your bottom line? Well, first and foremost, we obviously, uh, as the responsible underwriter, we took decisions to uh, make limitations to uh, some of our underwriting already back in January, actually this year, and then again in May. Uh, so we have taken some actions already, uh, which has been you know, very favorable. Again, our underwriting looks very different than your typical credit card because we don't, you know, our average balance is $70 compared to $5,000 on a credit card. So, and then also if we change our underwriting model, 50% of our balance sheet is according to new model within two months. So our agility level is much higher than a credit card who sits with a revolving balance built up. So so it's actually our experience is that we have an ability to to shift. And that's also why we see about 30% losses below credit card industry standards. So it's a healthier product for consumers and and, and, and merchants and, and, and us as well as a consequence of that. Hey, Sebastian, I wonder how you're thinking about consumer spending and how it's affected by the pent up demand for travel. And if consumers eventually work off that demand for travel, do you think they revert to buying goods once again? Or do you think travel is the last thing they spend money on before they truly retrench? Yeah, I mean, to me, at least when I look at it, because we also have about two million cards issues, so we can see trends in, in other categories. Uh, we, people use us kind of across multiple type of categories. Uh, our impression is that, like, in August, there was definitely this, like, COVID is really off. I'm back, I'm traveling, I'm going to restaurants. And, and, and I think shopping and retail did suffer from that. But now, actually, it's a little bit coming back again. And I think also that we got to remember, I feel almost like the market is kind of slightly too tough on e-commerce. To be honest, like, the year-on-year comps are still apples and bananas, right? Like, I mean, last year, there was still COVID. Restrictions now, they're none, right? So, so you're not really comparing fairly. And, and, and uh, our, our, what we're seeing is, is that it's actually quite, quite uh, it, it, looks, it doesn't look as bad as, 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 as media would portray right now. Sebastian, I'm wondering about Klarna's value add in this environment. A lot of people might not realize it's not just buy now, pay later that you're offering. It's sort of this shopping cart optimization where you're looking to drive traffic and reduce abandonment. Um, what is it that, uh, retailers are sort of using you for does does your structure allow them to discount less are you seeing uh your ability to direct consumers toward um maybe higher margin or stronger brands that they're more likely to buy without a discount yeah thank you uh yes that's very true so actually the, the fastest 
we kind of a, a hidden secret of Klarna right now is the fastest growing part of our business is matchmaking, right? So matchmaking consumers and retailers. Uh, I think in the US, we now work about, of the top 100 US retailers, we work with 30 in payments, but we work with over 50 in marketing type of services like that. So um, we're seeing a tremendous ask for that. Uh, there is a, you know, a, a tremendous opportunity. If you look at our app experience in the US, we've launched some fantastic features to curate and find uh, interesting products that match the preferences of those consumers. Uh, we are being able to drive tremendously new number of customers uh, to these merchants. And it's obviously, I think to some degree, um, we're helped by the fact that we've had this fight going on between Facebook and Apple. So, uh, you know, that advertising channel doesn't work as well as it's used to. So people are looking for alternatives. Uh, and we've heard from a lot of partners that they've seen the best results with our with our performance here. So there's, there's tons of opportunity. We, and I really think everything you do to kind of make commerce more smooth is going to help your right. network grow. Right? And you're going to see more transactions on your network. Sebastian, what are the chances that retailers end up with... Um, narrow or, or practically no profits after this holiday season because consumers are so into discounting and they might have to uh, continue that discounting beyond Black Fr uh, Friday, Cyber Monday, Cyber Week in order to keep the consumer coming into stores and even buying on e-commerce. What are the early signals showing you? Well, what we are seeing definitely is more of like the common story, right? If you have a strong product and brand, if you you know have invested in that, if you have products that are truly differentiating, um, you're not under that much threat, right? But obviously, anyone who has lost a little bit their path, has lost their way, is not either adding a lot of value from a curation and finding great products and matching them, nor is is uh, able to you know sell unique products, are obviously always squeezed when 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 economy is hit, right? So so I think. It depends, again, very much on, on retailer by retailer and kind of their position and, uh, and where they are. Finally, Sebastian, like all the fintech players, you've seen your valuation fall in recent months and you've already done cuts like layoffs, which I'm sure were painful. Are you done, though, in terms of those cuts? And would you be looking to raise money in this kind of environment to help you sort of accomplish those future plans, that diversification you talk about? Yeah, so we, we uh, already in um, April, May, obviously, we were one of the first companies to announce that we would do changes to the organization. We recognized that this was a fundamental shift in investor sentiment. Investors used to ask us to only lean into the future. Now they really want to see profitability. So we decided to shift strategy. Um, our ambition is by after summer next year, be uh, profitable on a month by month basis. And we had to unfortunately make some adjustments due to that. But we are a, we so far are tracking really well against that plan, and that also allows us to continue without raising further capital. So it looks very promising. Um, and and we really also my experience doing this. I've been doing this for 17 years. So it's been a while, uh, and uh, my experience has been a little bit that it's better to kind of really do what you have to do, make it in 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 one big move, and prefer to avoid doing kind of small changes continuously. So I really hope that we have taken. Uh, macro environment changes into consideration fully and that we won't see a further deterioration um, and, and that the, the changes that we have done are, are uh, sufficient. That's our current view. Yeah, something that many, if not all CEOs, are looking at right now. Sebastian, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Sebastian Simiakowski, Klarna CEO. John? Well, if you're looking for something to put on while you're cooking this Thanksgiving and it's just a day too early for holiday music, you can follow and subscribe to the Tech Check podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download podcasts or based turkeys. Tech Check is back in a moment. Welcome back. Here is the CEO of Mass Mutual, one of the biggest insurers in the U.S., 
drawing some sharp parallels between the financial crisis and the crypto meltdown in a Fort Knox one-on-one with me this week. Take a listen. I would say what's happening in crypto right now does remind me of the, oh my gosh, is fill in the blank going to be open on Monday and the rumors that were flying around. Now you see them even more with Twitter, right? Because there was no Twitter back in 08 where you could see, you know, you know, people worrying about, but, but then it was the old school, pick up the phone and say like, you know, what's going on with. Um, so I do think, I do think there's that piece playing out. Uh, he's not the only one drawing that parallel, guys. Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, calling for increased regulation over crypto uh, in a Wall Street Journal op-ed titled Regulate Crypto or It'll Take Down the Economy. Carl, not clear how much systemic risk there is from crypto outside that ecosystem, but some people drawing some parallels here. Yeah, certainly not the, uh, the narrative that it's siloed away from other capital markets. D. Meanwhile, guys, we do have a headline out of Bloomberg that says Amazon is planning to invest a billion dollars a year in movies for cinemas. Uh, while we've been talking about cuts potentially to its devices, Alexa unit, um, this comes out as something that Amazon is still going to be spending on. And certainly this is about that flywheel, John, which we keep coming back to. Um, if this is the case, and we've reached out to Amazon for a comment, it means that, you know, it thinks that movies is a place where it can really get that flywheel going. Yeah, interesting. IMAX uh, close to a two-month high uh, this morning. Guys, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.